If you don't have a Bible this morning, please put up your hand and someone will bring one around to you. If you don't have a Bible at home, we invite you to take that home with you as Sojourn's gift to you this morning. Today's sermon will be on Psalm 127. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Sojourn, this is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Sojourn. How are you guys? Good. It's always a weird question to ask a group of people because you can't really tell me specifically. So anyway, sorry about that. Uh, my name is Matt. <laughs> and uh, it is a real joy to, to be with you all this morning. Um, I, um, let's see, where did I put it? There it is, my sermon. There it is. It's a really good, uh, I love being here with you guys this morning. Um, I, I, I have been, um, I have been sitting on a front row seat uh, to, to watch this congregation be birthed and um, to to grow and and so it was um, it, it's just it, it's super fun to be here. The last time I was here was two years ago. I was on sabbatical and you all served me and my family as we were taking a deep breath and resting and uh, and so it's it's a real privilege to be back here uh, serving you all. Uh, I've been uh, the pastor at Reston Community Church for the last uh, the lead pastor for the last ten years. Uh, I came there in 2005 as the associate, and then uh, in, God's, uh, in God's timing, he, uh, he called me to be in the lead role uh, in about 2008. Um, and just having been in this area and in the Acts 29 network, we came into the network about uh, 2011, uh, I've gotten a chance to just um, come along so you, uh, alongside you guys just in the, in the back and behind the scenes uh, through prayer and coaching and support. And um, our, our church this morning is praying for, for you all. And so it, it is an, uh, an unending privilege for me to, to open God's word with you. So um, l- let, me, let me just pray from my heart as, as we get into this. And uh, I, I, always, I always believe that you, that you can't pray too much in church. So I'm going to pray, and then, and then we'll dive right into this, okay? Jesus, um, we really, really, really need you. And um, and th- there would be a temptation in this moment to um, <laughs> for me as I communicate and, and even for the listeners to, to do this in our own effort. But you've promised and spoken and said that you are already working. That's the truth of the gospel of our lives. And and, and so even in this moment of encountering your word and allowing your word to speak, I pray that you would help me to see and you would help us to see together the sufficiency of your work, or the glory and the beauty of your work. I pray that we would let it saturate our hearts and our minds and our souls. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. My wife and I um, are not native to Northern Virginia. Um, really, uh, just my wife and I and our, our oldest daughter, Hope, who's 14. We moved here in, in 2005 um, and um, to be part of the church plant that is now Resting Community Church. And, and when we moved here in 2005, we <laughs> we d- I don't think we knew what we were getting into. And those of you that... Uh, those of you that have lived your whole lives in Northern Virginia, you have no idea what I'm talking about because you're like a fish in water and you have no idea what it means to be wet, right? But, but if you move from somewhere else to Northern Virginia, you're like, I know, right? You're like, what is this place? Like, we, we immediately moved here and in every category of, of um, finances and hustle and time and all of these things, all these pressures, it just was a completely different planet than anywhere we've been before. Um, I, I, I just, it took me uh, years to get my head around it. There was a, there was a moment early on in, um, in our move here uh, that, that really kind of set the tone for me of, of what, uh, what life here in Northern Virginia was really like and what kind of our ethos is here. It was, uh, I, I live in a, we live in the same townhouse we, we moved into in 2005 and it went, our, our townhouse kind of overlooks the parking lot. And so if you're sitting in the living room, you're, you know, you're basically sitting in the parking lot looking at all the cars. And, and so sometimes that's great and sometimes that's kind of weird. Um, but uh, in this, this uh, it was 2005, 2006, I was, sitting on my couch, and I was looking out the window, and my neighbor, he, has a, he had a Porsche. Uh, he was out there, and he had just washed his Porsche, and he was out there, and he had, a, um, you know those cloth diapers, like the old school cloth diapers? He was out there. He had dried it already, and, and so then um, apparently after, if you have a nice car, I don't know about this, but if you have like a Porsche, after you dry it, you rub it with a diaper apparently. So he was out there, and he was just, just caressing the car, right? He's just rubbing, rubbing the Porsche, just making it real nice, and I, there was no wax involved, right? There, it was just, you know, it was just extra, right? Just, I love this. Just, just, and, and so that was already, and that was a thing, and I was like, okay, great. That's neat, and, and then... Um, and then, like, his friend, or I think maybe it was his brother, some, a relative, somebody, pulls up in a black Corvette, right? And pulls up right next to him. And I'm like, oh, okay, that, neat. We got nice cars in the neighborhood. Um, and, and, and he goes, no lie, pulls out a diaper, a cloth diaper. And so you, I'm, I'm watching out my window. TV's off now because this is fun. These guys, are, um, these guys are just out there just caressing their cars. They're just like, this is so good. And I'm like, man, what is Northern Virginia? And, and they're just doing this thing. And, and, um, and then out of the corner of my eye, I see another neighbor come out of his house. And, and he walks over um, to his car, which is two, two spots over from Porsche, Corvette, rubbing with the diaper, right? two cars over. He walks over to his car, and he, he looks at it, and he goes, ah, and, and he runs back into his house. I'm like, what, what, what's going on? And meanwhile, these two guys just rubbing, rubbing their cars, right? Just so good. Love my Porsche. Love my Corvette. And uh, a, a other guy comes back out, and no lie, he has, um, he has duct tape. And, and if you carry duct tape out of your house, usually you carry a roll of duct tape, right? He doesn't have a roll of duct tape. He has one piece of duct tape stuck to his thumb, and he comes out of his house with a, ro- with a piece of duct tape stuck to his phone, flapping in the wind. Diaper, diaper, right? And then this guy comes running out, and he has a Chevette, right? And the entire windshield is held in with duct tape. 
and <laughs> there's this like one sad piece that's like flapping off. And this guy comes out and he's like, ah, and he takes his duct tape off his thumb and he affixes it and he smooths it out. And he's smoothing out his duct tape on his Chevette windshield, and these guys are rubbing the Porsche and, and rubbing the Corvette, and this guy just hops in his car and just zooms away. And these guys keep, just keep rubbing and rubbing. And that, for me, since I have lived here, has been a picture of, of our shared experience here in Nor- Northern Virginia. It, it's illustrative of the realities that we live with here and, and battle against and battle and war in our hearts. For, for, for some of you, you're consumed and, and you're frantic and your whole life feels like it's held together with duct tape, right? So some of you came in here today and you're like, ah, and there's like a piece falling off and you don't even have a whole roll to fix it. You got one piece and you're like, hope it works, right? And that's what life is like here. You're just piecing the whole thing together with, with duct tape. And as some of you see out of your window uh, the guy with the Porsche rubbing it with a diaper, and you're like, if only. I, I just love to be that guy. That's, that's, that's normal here. I just want to be that guy. And, and you're striving, and you're, and you're yearning, and you're like, if only. I'm just gonna, I just got to hustle a little more, and, and then we'll get there, right? I just, just a little longer, and I get there. And, and then some of you think that you've arrived, some of you have all of those things. Some of you um, have, it's your car, and your life has stopped. However you came in this morning, I want us to seek to allow God through this psalm to speak into those realities. Just the, the, the reality that, that some of us are trying to piece the thing together. Some of us are hoping for something that will be just a, uh, just a little bit better than, than, than what it is we're imagining right now. Or, or, or the reality that you, you've put your hope in and your rest in and something that's going to fade and fail. And here's what I hope we can see together in our, in our text this morning. It's just simply this, that, that God's work changes our work. That when God is working, and he is working, that the reality of God's work absolutely and fundamentally changes our work. In this psalm, God is giving us a new paradigm through which to view our work and our rest. He's given a new picture and a portrait, a new tool book to operate with our work and rest. And, and hopefully what we'll see this morning is that this paradigm finds its root and most perfect expression in the story of Jesus in the gospel. I, I w- once heard a, um, an author say, he said this, he said, um, the main difference between Christians and others is that we take God seriously and they do not. And, and part of me really loves that quote. I'm like, yeah, we take sin seriously. We take God seriously. There's, there's Jesus, and, and there's so much. I'm like, yeah, we take God seriously, and they do not. And then, and then when I think about it, I, I get a little uncomfortable with that phrase because there are all sorts of areas in my own life, and maybe you're like me, where I go, I'm not sure I take God seriously there. There's so many areas in my own life that I, that I look and I point to, and I really struggle to take God seriously. I think one of the main areas that 
I personally have struggled and felt pressure in. And then pastorally, as I've walked with our congregation the last 10 years or so, the categories of work and rest become dramatically difficult for us to take God seriously in. And so the song that we're considering today becomes really a a tool for our heart, a, a calibration for our hearts to remember what it is that we're up to in life. It helps us to see the playing field. It helps us to see and to remember that in every area of our lives, God's work changes our work. So it's this song about work and rest. It's a song that uh, m- maybe you've heard before. We, we've, we just read it a few minutes ago. Um, I, I've often used it as, uh, as, a, as a tool with our, um, with our leaders to talk about the, the work that God is doing in our congregation. And honestly, most of the time when I hear this text dealt with, um, and honestly, when I, I typically deal with this text, uh, I just do the first two verses, right? And, and then, and then, and then, chapters or verses three to five, we kind of leave those to the homeschoolers and we go, "Hey, this one's for free. You can just have that one. You can keep it." Um, I, we homeschool our kids, so I can I can say those kinds of things. But um, um, but but what I want to do this morning, I want to actually start with with verse three, because what happens in verse three to verse five. Really, really sets us up. It gives us a picture and a portrait of the things that, that are being explained in verses 1 and 2. And so if you have a Bible, turn with me, uh, one, Psalm 127. We're going to start with verse 3, and we're going to get a portrait of what it is that God is up to in, uh, in, in teaching and leading our hearts in this text. Psalm 127, verse 3, it says this, Behold! Behold! Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of of the womb, a reward. So you got to stop right there because uh, anytime uh, in your Bible you're reading and that word behold comes up, it's, it's because we're supposed to take notice. We're supposed to take uh, attention. We're supposed to uh, pay attention to what's being said. Like so, some of you, I, I gave this long introduction and you're just kind of tuning out and I say, behold! And you're like, what, 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 what are you saying? Right? Or, or you've been reading the psalm and you're like, okay, unless the Lord builds the house, okay. Behold! Right? That's what's happening here. My, uh, we've got five kids and we just recently have cro- kind of crossed the threshold of everybody riding their bikes. And uh, we were just recently on vacation, and we live about two miles from the Reston Town Center. And, and so we, uh, on vacation, we took a day. We did this, this bike ride from our house to the Reston Town Center. It was super fun and super stressful. Um, you gotta, it's, just, it's just like a caravan of human beings going down Reston Parkway. And uh, what was funny is when we, we, we got to uh, Reston Town Center, we're just all celebrating. We're like, yes, we've made it. Woohoo! We're like hooting and hollering. And it's like on a Monday, right? And, or a Tuesday. And in the middle of the work week at lunchtime. And so everybody's out there, you know, with, you know, eating their, their pot belly or their chipotle in their business casual, right? And we're out there we're all sweaty, and there's like 800 of us. And then we take all of our bikes, which are in various stages of disrepair, and we just like slam them against the, the bike racks. And, and it's as if our whole family just shows up, and we're like, behold, we're here, right? We are here. Every movement, my, my oldest daughter hopes, somebody asked her what it's like to be in a family of five kids, and she said, everything's an event. Just everything's an event. And, every, and there are people like staring at us. They're like, what in the world is happening right here? We were just saying, behold, 
behold, we're here. Look, that's what the psalmist is doing. Look, look at what's happening in your families because there's something unique that God is doing. Uh, Whether you're a parent or not, when we come and there's new life that has been birthed, um, the psalmist is saying, look at that because there's something significant that has happened there. Verse 4, it says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one youth, of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks at his enemies at the gate. It, see, the psalmist is just saying, Hey, look! Look at the kids! Look at the new life that's, that's being birthed uh, around you. That's a gift from, from your Creator. That, that is a, a work that, that God has done. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. My, my kids are really awesome. I really love them. I, I love spending time with them. The kids in my church and in my neighborhood are really awesome. Our, our, our front yard is like the neighborhood front yard. There's always like a, a, a baby like smacking on our front door because they're just wandering through our yard. <laughs> it's really awesome <laughs> sometimes. As awesome as that is, and as beautiful as that is, and and as I labor and hope to be a good father, and as my wife and I labor and hope to be good parents, and uh, as I labored and hope to be a good pastor, and, and, and see and experience my failings, when I think about the lives that God has entrusted to me, I never in a million years could have made a hope, Morgan. You catch me on that? Like, as, as hard as I work to be a good father and to be a good steward of, of the lives that God has entrusted to me, never in a million years could I have imagined what, what, what it would be to, to make an actual human being. I don't know how to put cells together. And so when I look at my daughter, I go, Behold! Look, look what happened! Like, I get to be involved in that. I get to labor in that. I get to steward that in, in some measure. But, man, I cannot do that. When Hope was born, she came out with a whole head of spiky black hair. And I was like, what? <laughs> I imagined a bald baby, because that's what I would have made. Right? And God's like, no, no, this is going to be cool. And then it grew out blonde, and she had black tips. It was amazing. She was very fashion-forward. See, these verses here in the second half of Psalm 127 serve as a bit of an illustration for parents and non-parents alike for the powerful and gracious activity of God in giving life to things that are nothing without him. Every time you look around and you see a human being, every time you look around and you see anything that has life, you can say, behold, look what God has done. First thing I want you to see in this text, and if you're taking notes, this is, you can write this one down. Just really simply this, that God, God's work precedes our work. God's work precedes our work. His work always comes first. Every time we consider the weight and the reality of more people, <laughs> the weight and reality of his activity in the world, the rated and the reality of, of what he's called us and invited us into, the reality is that, that he is the designer, that he is the worker, that he precedes everything that we have done. 
my favorite author is Eugene Peterson. He says this. He says, this massive and overwhelming previousness of God's speech to our prayers, however obvious it is in Scripture, is not immediately obvious to us simply because we are so much more aware of ourselves than we are of God. We're far more self-conscious than God-conscious. And so it requires effort, repeated, imaginative, biblically-shaped effort to acquire and maintain our awareness of this unqualified, thoroughgoing previousness of God's speech to anything and everything that comes out of our mouths. God's work precedes our work. He, he, he worked first. He loved first. He labored first. He created first. He made first. He loved first. The, the first words in the Bible are this. To start with, God created. In the beginning, God created. Starting with, God created. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4, he says, For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And in the, the beginning of the book of Romans, the whole issue at stake in, in that chapter is the tension that exists inside of us of him being creator and us being creation and our desire that, that, that we would have more dominion than has been afforded to us. God's work precedes our work. And, and so the, the, the sense here in, in the second half of Psalm 127 is just simply a visual reminder of the right orientation of our hearts as we consider our work in light of God's. If, if God's work changes our work, we need to remember that, that his work was first. God's work precedes our work. And so with that in mind, jump with me to verse 1. It says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Uh, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. But unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. You know, at first blush, I think that there would be a real temptation with this verse. To kind of have a kind of a nasal gazing a navel-gazing um, kind of Eeyore mentality with this verse, right? Unless the Lord builds the house and labor in vain, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Like, it just like, uh, I wonder if the Lord is building the house. I hope, it, I hope he is, right? And it, we just kind of, and, and it becomes like this, this um, yearning, mournful kind of verse where you're like, uh-oh, I hope, hope something's working because otherwise this is a waste of time. But, but where I want to point you is just the reality that, th that this song is a song of encouragement. This song is a song of hope. This song is a song of rest. The psalmist wants to lead our heart to the reality that, that God's work does precede our work. That, that, that there's a building that the, that the Lord is up to. That there's a watching that the Lord is up to.
That's why he says in verse 3, Behold! Look, unless the Lord builds the house, you, you, you labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, you, you're, you, you watch but stays awake in vain. And then he jumped down to verse 3 and he says, Behold, look around. Do you see a human being? Anyone? Yeah, it's some of you. Nope, the rest of us are not here. <laughs> right? right? Like, look around. Like, there's human beings, right? The Lord is building, the Lord is watching. Look, see, God is saying, I'm, I'm in the business of creating life where there is none. And so in this first verse, he says, you're invited into that. God's work precedes our work. And the second thing I want you to see in this text is really simply this, that, that God's work animates our work. Do you ever have that kid in, in grade school that like always got picked first for the kickball team like that middle schooler with giant thighs you just Ugh! just you know you always want the kid that's going to kick it over the fence because because if i'm on your team you're going to lose but if the like the thigh kid is on your team like you, you're, you're going to win right well <laughs> the psalmist here solomon is saying so unless the lord it, it, it builds the house you, 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 you're going to lose but guess what? He is. He is building the house. And if he's building the house, then your labor's not in vain. If he is watching over the city, you don't watch in vain. Isn't that good news? The question for us then, and the tension that this builds is like, oh no, like, how do I lay hold of that? How might, how might I be confident in the unless? Friends, this is the gospel at work inside of us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your doing. God is building the house. It's the gift of God it's not, not a result of works so that no man may boast. We're his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Lord is building the house and your labor is not in vain. The Lord is watching over the city. So your watching is not in vain. See, God's work has preceded your work, and because God is at work in your life, as you, you lay hold of the truth and the beauty of the gospel at work given to you, God's work animates your work. It gives power to you and life to work that would otherwise be completely dead. See, we're, we're tempted when we talk about the gospel, and we're tempted when we're talking about the, the, the gift of Christ at work inside of us, is to, is to, to read verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians 2 and say, it's for, by grace we've been saved uh, through faith. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no man may boast. And we just want to leave off uh, verse 10. But verse 10 says, no, no, God is at work building you. You are his workmanship. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. He's not saved you to just grit your teeth and wait till you, heaven. 
Glory comes soon. Now he said, I've rescued you and saved you for an eternal purpose that starts right now. You're his workmanship. God is at work. So your labor is not in vain. God's work animates our work. This plays out in the home. Paul said in Ephesians 5, that, 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 as, that as God puts together a family, <laughs> that there's a mystery that gets played out, that, that your relationships become a portrait of Christ in the church. And so husbands, when, when you take out the trash humbly and joyfully for your wife, you're telling the story of the gospel. God's work has animated your work. You're not just taking out the trash. You're beholding to the world around you the glories and the excellencies of Christ made manifest in the person and the work of Jesus. God's work animates your work. This plays out in, in the church. Jesus is talking to Peter, uh, who battles with Paul for being the biggest screw-up in the New Testament. (laughs) And he says, I tell you, you're you're Peter on this rock. I will build my church on you, a a goofball like you. Can't get it together. I'm going to build my church, and and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So, Peter, I'm going to build... the, the dwelling place of God. I'm going to build um, the portrait of the body of Christ. I'm going to establish for myself the bride of Christ, and, and I'm going to do it on a screw up like you, Peter. And it will be so effective that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God's work animates our work. Some of you as you encounter the church, you're just consuming it. As if it's something to watch and that you have no part in. And if you're here and you're a Christian, you're not walking the fullness of the gospel that God, God has called you to. You're not walking in the path that, that Christ has called you to. God intends to animate your work. God intends for you to to labor and to step in and to press because it's not in vain. Some of you are here and you have labored a long time. You've been through uh, the the joys and the excitement of the beginning. You've been through the the middle times that were hard and disheartening and and you've been in in the, the times that are now. And you've been doing the same thing. And you've, you've been laboring, and you're wondering, okay, um, you know, we, we, don't, we, don't have a, we don't have a crystal cathedral yet. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> we, we don't have the big things that we want yet. G- can I tell you that your labor's not in vain? God's work animates your work. He is at work. He is building his church, and the gates of hell shall not stand against it. This plays out in our vocation. The Apostle Paul says in, in Colossians chapter 3, he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. God's not surprised at your job. You know, whether you're a VP at a consulting firm 
or you're a first-year consultant at a consulting firm, or whether you're a middle manager at a consulting firm, because everybody in Northern Virginia works for a consulting firm, <laughs> or whatever it is that you put your hands to, the, the big temptation in our hearts is to, is to believe that, 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 that God's work will be involved in it when we get to that, that thing that we we're imagining. Uh, Eugene Peterson, he said, the primary location for our spiritual formation is the workplace. <laughs> Think about how much time you spend there. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that, that he prepared beforehand, that you should walk in them. That doesn't just happen in these walls, it doesn't just happen in your home, but it happens in your workplace. And God, in his grace, has said, because um, he is building the house, um, your work is not in vain. You're, you're pushing papers and your humble service in, in your work is not in vain. You're watching over the things that have been entrusted to you in your job is not in vain. Because God has chosen himself to be glorified and made much of through your life in that labor at this time. God's work precedes uh, our work. He, he knows what's happening. He's created. He's cultivated. He's redeemed. He, he's restored. And he's called you into that. He's invited you into that. And his work animates, gives life to, gives breath to your work. I think there's a temptation in each of these arenas to, to look for the way to coast, to look for the way to wait, to be less engaged, to wait for the next thing. But the great gift of the gospel, the great gift of finding our lives rescued by the person and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross his sinless life for us, his death in our place, and his victorious ruling and reigning resurrection is that we can know that he is building. He is working. He is watching, and, and the things that he's called you into are not in vain. God's work animates, animates our work. Finally, look, at, look with me at verse 2. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builder labors in vain. Unless the watchman, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And then he says in verse 2, it's in vain that you rise up early and you go late to rest. Ever do that? That's the hustle here, isn't it? Just get a couple hours in before everyone else gets up. After I binge watch The Office for the fourth time, put in a couple hours before I go to sleep. You can't get to sleep until you have another glass of bourbon. It's in vain that you rise up early and you go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil. You wake up in the middle of the night thinking about the things that you haven't done. And then he says this, this dramatic and crushing word. He says, he gives to his beloved sleep. Ever thought about sleep as worship? Taking a nap to the glory of God. 
gives to his beloved sleep. I once saw a guy at the gym. He had a, a, a Nike t-shirt on. It said, in grind we trust. And, and I immediately thought, all right, well, that's awesome for um, like another set of push-ups. Like, that's cool. Like, ugh, like I just want to crush it, right? In grind we trust, right? It's terrible advice for life. But it is the advice of our culture here. In grind we trust. And here's the thing. God's work animates our work. We should work hard. We should labor hard into the glory of God. But, but if our trust and our rest and our hope is in that grind, unless the Lord builds the house, the builder labors in, in vain. It's a foolish thing to trust in. Can I tell you though that the temptation, the leading of my heart is constantly to put my trust there. I'm tempted to, to, to buy into the hope that, that just a little bit more is going to produce just a little bit more. And it always leads my heart to anxiousness. Her work is not rooted in God's work. It's in vain. So what's Solomon saying in this last verse that we're looking at? He's simply saying that you weren't meant to be enslaved to anxiousness. That that God's design for your life, the good paths that you walk in, were not meant to be fraught with anxiousness. Jesus repeatedly said this. The Apostle Paul repeatedly said this. That's been the theme of my life. Just entrapped by worry. (laughs) But not willing to call it sin. Not willing to call it a a rejection of the truth that God's work precedes my work. And that, that he has come in his grace to animate my work. And that that's a good place to trust. And so, so Solomon said, you, you're not meant to be enslaved by anxiousness. And then he says that crushing statement at the end. He says, you're the beloved of God. And he gives th- his beloved sleep. Even as his work has preceded your work, even as he ha- animates your work and gives power to your work, the last thing I want you to see in this, in this song, the last tool in that should speak into our hearts as we encounter work and rest in, in this location in this place it's just simply this that god's work is reason to rest from your work god's work is is good reason to rest from your work two, two years ago i was on i was on sabbatical like pastor justin is and um i was away for about 12 uh, i think i was away for 12 weeks and um, and uh, it was a, a tremendous gift to me and my family. And I just want to I just want to encourage you in that. I know it's a big sacrifice for the congregation. It, it breathed life into us in categories I didn't even know. And it, but interesting thing happened for me is um, I spent about six weeks. Uh, the first six weeks I was just tired. You know I've been I've been laboring for a lot of years in this area and um, and a lot of years in ministry. 
uh, it started working in church in, in the year 2000. <laughs> and so it was like 2016. I was like, I was real, I was just tired. And, um, and, and so for the first six weeks, really, um, really, I just needed to take a nap. And, and, and I just needed to be filled up and rejuvenated spiritually. I just needed to re- receive from the Lord without pouring out. And it was, it was great. It was awesome. And I remember six weeks in, I turned to my wife and I said to her, I feel happy. It was really weird because I didn't even know I didn't feel happy. But it, it, was, it was such a gift. And, and, but here's the interesting thing that happened is I, I went six weeks of just resting in, in the grace of God and, and receiving his goodness. And, and six weeks in, I felt refreshed and rejuvenated. I was like, all right, let's go. And I was like, oh, wait, I got six more weeks. And, and there was an interesting tension that happened in my heart is, is, is I felt like, hey, I, I've rested up physically. Um, I feel a little bit better, so I'm, I'm going to just crush it. But what I'd been entrusted to in this moment was to rest for 12. And so the whole second half of my sabbatical turned into rest, r- really just as worship. Retraining and recalibrating and working into my heart the truth, the rhythms uh, of rest are not just physical. They, they teach our hearts a better truth about who's really working. They, they remind our hearts that unless the Lord is building the house, you, your building is in vain. Unless you're watching over the, unless He's watching over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. In, in vain you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. His design for you is that, as His beloved, as those rescued by His grace and welcomed into His family, He wants to give you rest, and that is a truth that needs to be worked into our hearts on a regular basis. God's work is good reason to rest from your work. You you may may not be in a season where you can or or even that it's appropriate for you to take an extended season away. But you you can close your laptop at night to the glory of God. Your work is reason for my work to rest and to stop. You can't take a day off without checking your mail or texts or slack to the glory of God. Engage with worship with the people of God. God's work is reason to rest from your work. His work precedes your work and he has animated He's animated your work with his work. And so the question is, why is this song sitting in the middle of God's prayer book for us? Why has God given us these words to memorize and to pray and to roll around in our hearts and to be reminded of over and over? I think there's lots of reasons for it, but I think one of the most important ones is that it works out and it works in the deepest realities of our formation in the gospel. Everything in our flesh wants to add to God's work. Everything in our flesh wants to to add to his creative authority and his redemptive authority and, and to the completion of our salvation. Everything in our flesh wants to use him as a tool to complete the work that we've designed for ourselves. But the reality and the, the deep truth of the gospel, the gre- deep truth of God's story spoken over us is that he's the only finisher. 
that he's the completer. And he's invited us to, to labor in and to enjoy his finished work. The whole Bible starts with the story of his finished work. In Genesis chapter 2, on the seventh day, it says that God rested. You know why he rested? Was it because he was tired? He's God. <laughs> like God. And, and what did he do when he created? He's like, let there be. Like, that's not hard. <laughs> he wasn't tired. It says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, it says that, that, that he finished. That God rested because he was done. That's how the book starts. That God completes the work of creation. You know how the book ends? Revelation chapter 21. The ruling and reigning victorious Jesus with the coming of the new heavens and the new earth. You know what he says? He says it's done. He says, you know why it's done? Because I'm the alpha. I'm the one who started it and I'm the omega. I'm the one who finishes it. It's done. It starts with the finished work. It ends with the finished work. And you know what's sitting right in the middle of that story? The very center of that narrative is that same Jesus making a way for us to rest in the finished work of God. As Jesus gave his life for yours on a cross, the last words that he uttered were, it is finished. His life given for yours. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. God's work always precedes your work. And because he's at work, because we can look at that Christ and that cross and that finished work, the finished work of creation, the finished work of your redemption, the finished work of your glorification, his work will animate your work and it is good reason that you would rest. Your entire life was meant to be lived in light of those three finish lines. And those three finish lines tell the story of your belovedness and he gives to his beloved sleep. Friends, everyone around us, and maybe, maybe you came in here like this, is consumed with a, a, a frantic trying just to hold it together, putting another piece of duct tape on your windshield. The, pe- the people around us are consumed with dreaming of trying to make it. Or, or are living in a, a false reality that they already have made it and, and life has just stopped. And the psalmist, through his words, just wants to sing into our hearts. God's work changes your work. He went first. He animates and gives power to even the simplest things in your life. And his work enables and calls you to rest well. Friends, these are the, the, the hardest truths <laughs> to remember, aren't they? Jesus, uh, on the night that he was betrayed, um, and as he was preparing the hearts of his disciples, to begin this impossible journey of participating in God's work and building the church, the, the, the first church planters, right? <laughs> he sat down to a meal with them and at that meal, he took, he took a piece of bread and he broke it. And he said, friends, this is my body which is for you. 
my work is preceding your work. And so as often as you get together, do this in remembrance of me. Remember that it is the Spirit of God that, that will animate and give life to this thing. In like manner, he took a cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, new agreement between God and you. My blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you get together, do this in remembrance of me. Remind one another, sing to one another that God's work has gone before you, that God's work animates you, and that this is good reason. What Christ would do in the cross is good reason to rest and good reason to sleep. And, and so I, I want to invite you, the band is going to lead us in song, and I, I want to invite you, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, as we continue to worship, to come and be reminded of the work that God has done in your behalf in the person, the work of Jesus, and to be reminded that that work makes a fundamental difference in your work. And I want to encourage you today, there's some of you today that are in this room and you're hearing a guy, um, you, you just saw a cover band, and now you're just hearing a guy shout at you, um, doing a really long TED talk, right? And now we're going to get the cover band back up, right? Um, and I want you to know that this is silliness if, if that guy Jesus didn't rise from the dead, but I want to tell you he did. And I want to tell you that the God of the universe loves you and calls you his beloved. And the stirring in your heart is, is faith being awakened by the work of the Spirit. I want to invite you to believe in that Jesus, to confess your sin and believe in him. And, and then come and, and tell this story to yourself again and again. But if you're not there yet, just, just wait. Because religion is stupid. But the king of the universe is glorious. And he loves you. And so friends, let me pray and I want to invite you. We've got tables in the front and in the back. Let's worship this God who's worked on our behalf before us, after us, for all eternity. Well, Jesus, we, we come just uh, so glad. Lord, we come. Lord, I, I know that there's some in this church that, um, that really need to hear that you're working. I know that there's some that are, that are hurting really bad and and it seems like you've stopped, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would, you would um, by a work of your grace, begin to point and, and to shepherd their hearts to see uh, the, the evidence and the grace of your hand, even when it seems dim. There's some here that, that, are, that are tempted to, to settle for lesser work. I pray that you would lead their hearts to see the glory of the work of Jesus on their behalf. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for your grace. We love you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Friends, the table's been made ready. Come eat, drink.